Welcome along to the weekend edition of Red Star Radio. Uh, as you will know, if you've been listening to us for some time, we've been focusing a lot on the uh, COVID regimes in both uh, the United States and Britain and also Canada, Australia. But it's about time that we heard from uh, somebody from a uh, European perspective, specifically from a French perspective, which has had some of the um, harshest and strangest uh, laws kind of emanating from the Macron presidency. So, Leila, who do we have with us today to discuss this? So we're excited to have Dr. Laurent Mutili, who is the director of research of the CNRS. He's a sociologist. The CNRS is the French National Center for Scientific Research. It is a French state research organization, and it's the largest basic research institute in Europe. Its budget is uh, 3.3 billion euros, so it's very significant. So, uh, Laurent, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for your invitation. May I start by introduce myself a little more? Of um, course. Okay, see, of course, not not a, not of narcissism, but so, <laughs> so that your your listeners um, know who I am, uh, where where I am speaking from, and why I'm saying what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So, um, as you say, I'm a researcher. I belong to the National Center for Scientific Research in France. Um, I am therefore a, a, a state civil servant. And I defend the public service and I defend the ethics of research. Um, I therefore know how, have no conflict of interest with any economic organization or with any political or even trade union organization. That means in, in, in concrete terms, that means that I, I have absolutely nothing to gain in saying what, I'm, what I say. Uh, I would even say rather that I have things to lose uh, at the many attacks and insults I've been subject for, to for almost two, two years in the media and on social networks prove. And finally, I, I also want to say that, how to say, I'm, I'm not the guy who arrives at the end of the battle, okay, to, to, to hang out good and bad grades. Uh, I start the, my investigation uh, into the political and health management of the COVID crisis as early as March 2020, because there was many things that I didn't find normal that shocked my way of thinking, my intelligence, and sometimes also shocked my ethics and my moral. Over time, um, I built up a network of about uh, 50 scientists and doctors, physicians, who contributed to my investigation. I published uh, 68 articles and five collective uh, tribunes in the press, despite several uh, censors. And the, the last one, published uh, a few days ago, to December 12, uh, on a, a website created by, uh, by an independent journalist. The name is uh, Cartier General Headquarters. Um, this tribune is uh, entitled A New Vaccine Religion is Born in the West. It has been uh, signed by more than 2,000 researchers, academics, and healthcare providers from all disciplines. And I hope that the English version will soon be published somewhere, I hope. And okay. finally, I am in the process of publishing uh, all this collective work in a book that will be published in France next uh, January. Oh, fantastic. Oh, we'll be sure to um, 
to uh, share that with our listeners once it's out in English, the first thing, and um, hopefully your book will be translated as well in the future. Um, okay, well, uh, this kind of works well into the first question we had for you. Um, so I've been looking through your work, and you've been pu publicly critical of France's COVID protocols since at least September 2020. Uh, you you might say even earlier. I, I I've just been I was just able to see you signed an open letter um, in Le Parisien called uh, COVID: Why we re we refuse to be governed by fear. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Can you explain what it was exactly that led you to be critical of France's approach to dealing with this pandemic? Yes, um, the criticism I have developing in France is is broadly similar that to 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 that which can be made in in, in most not all but most Western countries, um, because this is not really a, a global crisis. It's above all a Western crisis, which must be. Analyzed in in the light of certain characteristic of Western countries. Mm -hmm. Secondly, my, my criticism is not uh, just about this or that aspect of the political and health management of the crisis. I am not a virologist or a doctor. I am a sociologist. So my contribution my contribution sorry is to try to to take a global look at what has been happening in the West for the last two years, and My main conclusion is that if we want to understand what is happening, we have to question the global narrative of this crisis mm -hmm. because it is false and it seriously misleads our, our fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. um, I call this narrative the, the COVID doxa. The, mm -hmm. the doxa is a concept uh, popularized by uh, in social sciences by a French sociologist whose name is Pierre Bourdieu. It refers to, to the dominant discourse in public debate and more precisely, the discourse of the dominance. It is a way in which elites present themselves by telling a story that presents them in, in their favor and that presents them as the most competent people to deal um, with the problems of society. Mm -hmm. um, What I call the COVID doxa can be summarized in, in four major elements. All right, the the first one say a new virus threatens the the survival of of, of the human species. Remember the speech of, of the director of the WHO in February 2005. It was his words. He say a free to hold humanity. Okay. Second mm -hmm. element of the doxa there is no treatment to cure the sick. Mm -hmm. Third, the only solution is therefore to decrease the general lockdown, general confinement of population. And four, we will be saved the day a vaccine arrives. Mm -hmm. So I, I consider this story uh, to be a lie. I consider it to be um, a children's story, like, like Christmas story. <laughs> Okay, like Christmas molds. Um, let's say a, a, a big bad wolf um, has appeared. We are defenseless. So quickly, quickly hide under the bed mm -hmm. and you can get out when daddy comes with a big gun and kills the wolf. <laughs> this, is, this is really a, a Christmas tale, in fact. So to my opinion, 
uh, as a conclusion of all this work with those uh, uh, 50 uh, other colleagues and, and doctors, uh, to our opinion, the reality is that, taking the four elements, okay, first, this coronavirus is very contagious, but not very dangerous. It mm. is, um, it only really um, threatens very old people who are already suffering from other diseases that have made them very fragile. In France, we have shown that there has been no excess mortality be before the age of 65 for the last two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People have to know this. This is, of course, very important. Second element, there are, it, it exists, there are several early treatments that are very effective in preventing the disease from um, worsening and avoiding the need for uh, emergency hospitalization. Mm -hmm. In particular, there are um, antiviral and antiparasitic drugs uh, uh, used to reduce the viral attack, and also antibiotics used to reduce the inflammation of mainly our, our, our respiratory organs mm -hmm. uh, caused by, by our own uh, human defense that um, when they react to the viral attack. Uh, further element, the, the total lockdown, general confinement of population, is not a public health strategy. This is not mm -hmm. true. It is a, a, a measure dictated by fear, by panic. It is also an admission of importance. And it is finally a refusal to implement the only true public health strategy, which mm -hmm. always consists facing an epidemic, and but this is absolutely not, absolutely not new, uh, which always consists of firstly testing people, secondly isolate the sick during the time they, they could contaminate other people, mm -hmm. and thirdly treat them according to the first diagnose that we have and progressing over time um, as we learn more and more about the virus and and the disease that it can cause. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for element, the idea that there is a miracle vaccine that will save us from the epidemic is really a, a childish idea that has mm -hmm. become an ideology, a kind of new religion, as we are too far to say in this last collective tribune in France. The reality is that the coronaviruses are are constantly mutating. And as with uh, seasonal influenza, there is no vaccine that works with all variants. Okay, mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the reality is that um, they were not dealing with vaccines um, in the traditional sense in the West. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not injecting a, a, an inactivated virus. We are dealing with gene therapies which is different. And we have no insight to judge either the performance or the safety of those therapies over time. Finally, um, these gen therapies were not made by um, benefactors of humanity. Okay? Yeah. They are made by industrialists whose motivation is to make as much money as possible. And who do, and, and who will do uh, um, anything or almost anything 
to uh, uh, achieve this, including cheating on clinical trials, as it was revealed by the British Journal of Medicine, uh, including hiding the conditions of manufacture and bribing uh, as many people as possible to, to ensure that they, um, that they control communication and can throw out any criticism that comes up and upsets business. These, um, your position seems very reasonable and very, um, it, it is one that can be widely applicable to a lot of different countries outside of France. So it's nothing crazy, but you've been severely criticized for taking um, these positions, it seems, and like censored as well. Um, so I just wanted to hear from you a little bit more about your experience um, being critical of uh, COVID-19. Like how has their reaction been from your colleagues and uh, the wider scientific and political community, perhaps? I've been and we have been criticized since the beginning, in fact. But th there was two two steps in, in, in this short story. I, I, will, I will stay short because talking of, about myself is not really interesting, I think. But uh, of course, we have been criticized since the beginning because uh, uh, we have very quickly said that uh, 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 it is just crazy to, to, to put in the garbage the question of early treatment. And in France, as you know, we, we have a big, big controversy uh, uh, around uh, that uh, so stupid approach to, to reduce a, a, a general and a question of public health to, to a person, to, mm -hmm. to one person. Mm -hmm. So we have in France this controversy around the around the person of Didier Raoult, who, mm -hmm. who is one of the most famous uh, kinesiologists uh, and virologists, who hid the, the biggest... Um, institution, which is uh, what we call in France uh, 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 Institut Hospitalo Universitaire. That means it's a structure, a structure that is also an hospital and a, a, a research center. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it is the main that exists in France. Probably, uh, uh, if, you, if you look at the, the size, people, number of people working, probably one of the biggest in the, in the world, in fact. Uh, um, and it was built with with public money for for, from, for ten years, okay, and 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 suddenly, uh, uh, what happened? This uh, this uh, research center and this hospital say at the beginning, okay, uh, we we can do something. So they contest the the second element of the toxa, okay. Mm. So we say we cannot do anything. So, so mm -hmm. they contest mm -hmm. this. They say, Okay, we, we we can we can do something certainly we can test this etc. Uh, um, and, and they propose something, but of, of course they they propose the therapies that was free or quite free mm. uh, uh, with uh, with um, generic drugs that you can buy for 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 two euros in any uh, in any pharmacy you can you can buy for for, for two euros. Uh, 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 an antiviral and an antibiotic, right? Um, so the, it happened uh, an enormous controversy in France, but focus on a person, mm. and uh, and I have seen many many people, many journalists, many politicians, but also many colleagues, many people who are s supposed to be scientists. Uh, um, and there was this discuss the question that um, can we trust this person? Uh, well, it seems to be uh, perhaps a bit authoritarian. Oh yes, it's a kind of macho. 
what, what, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, we are talking about public health and, 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 and we have to choose a good strategy. We absolutely don't care about uh, this person of a, or another person. What else? Um, to ask uh, the, the way he, he, he dresses or the way he, he eats. That's completely stupid. But we had this in France, very intense. And uh, um, my opinion is, from the beginning, is that it was a, a, a very big and strong diversion, just, to, in, in fact, to put in the garbage the question of uh, uh, early therapeutics. Mm. Uh, uh, th- this is the main problem. And, and it was something that, uh, as I said at the beginning, that shocked me uh, from an, an intellectual but also a moral point of view. Um, mm. Because this conduces to what... The great physician, American physician uh, Peter McCullough, uh, uh, call uh, a nihilism therapeutics. Mm. This mm. is exactly that, uh, and that's of course very important. So, as from the beginning, we have said, uh, sorry, but the question is a public health strategy and not uh, this person of this person. Uh, um, I have many many attacks and insults from that moment. And then the second turn was uh, uh, during summer um, 2021, uh, when we begin to talk about, uh, about the vaccine uh, and show that, uh, in fact, there are many, many things un- unknown uh, about clinical trials, uh, about, uh, about safety, about etc. And as we are facing a, a kind of new religion, you uh, that that uh, is uh, supposed to save humanity. Of course, you can you cannot criticize the miracle. We will save the humanity. So it's uh, in French we will say it's a crime de lèse majesté, or it's a, it's a taboo, uh, uh, it's a blasphème if you are insulting a, a religion, uh, insulting yeah. God. All right. Mm. So there are the two steps. But the main attacks come from journalists. And we have to talk more about journalists. I, I, I want to say things like about this. Many attacks come from journalists, from of course, from all the well, let, let's say all the bullshit expression that you will find every day on, on social networks, uh, yeah. when everybody can say anything, uh, dissimulated under a pseudo. Uh, and you have uh, uh, DOCA uh, 44, five, both saying nothing. But, so, but they are, they are a kind of um, battle of influence on, on social networks, uh, like Twitter, Twitter Facebook, etc. And, and, peop- and you find people very organized to, to promote something, to attack uh, other people uh, uh, who think differently, etc. So the, the main attacks come from this and from a small part of uh, even my colleagues, even mm. academics. Mm. Uh, that's very surprising. And I'm, you, well, mm. you can find anything. Let's like, so you have jealousy. You have uh, all, all problems that, uh, very old problems sometimes that uh, people take uh, and put in the presence. Uh, um, well, it's difficult to explain sometimes. But mm. the main, I, I repeat, the main attack, uh, uh, the problem of, of censorship, etc., comes from the media. Um, how do you think that France uh, compares to the other major European countries with respect to the authoritarianism of its COVID-19 protocols and laws? There is um, a program at Oxford University, 
um, created by people who are not suspect to, to, to want to contest anything, okay, uh, absolutely not. And not, not my friends, okay. Uh, um, <laughs> and this program uh, compares the policy responses to, to, to different European countries, uh, probably more, but I have looked only on European countries. And it shows that France is among the most authoritarian countries group. Uh, we can also see that um, the least authoritarian countries are the Scandinavian countries. And this is very interesting because this ranking corresponds fairly well to, to the ranking of countries by democracy index that is done every year by the magazine The Economist. All right. So in France, we, we had in particular, let's give two, three, four, four elements. First, we had... Uh, a strict lockdown mm -hmm. with the need to to file in a, an authorization um, from to, to leave the home, okay, um, specifying the reason and the exact time on pain of being fined uh, uh, 135 euro by the police. Mm. A second example, we have an obligation to vaccinate all uh, healthcare workers on pain of exclusion and unemployment. Third, we have um, a disguised vaccination obligation for all others on pain of losing what jobs or, 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 be, or not being able to access to certain shops, to certain cultural places, to public transport, etc. Um, some politicians have even talked about abolishing social benefits such, such as, um, as um, unemployment benefit for, 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 for no vaccinated people. And, uh, mm. uh, and we now have, uh, so, so, so we have now all the consequences of turning the non-vaccinated into, into scapegoats for, for the epidemic. Uh, as religions used to do with, with plague victims or, or leapers in, in the last um, centuries. So France has not yet spoken, like Austria, of bringing the, the non-vaccinated to justice. But, but this could happen in the few weeks or months. I've, I've seen some sources say that uh, Austria is threatening to jail people for up to one year if they continue to refuse getting mm. vaccinated. Do you think that a um, an Austrian style approach is possible in France? Like, so they're, you know, for, well, certainly they're threatening to um, fine people for not taking the vaccine. Would that be politically, legally possible in France? The main problem, one of the main problems, to, to my opinion, in France is that we we don't have real and strong uh, counterpowers. And, and that is a, a crucial problem j j just for democracy. Uh, we know, well, of course, we don't have any, any, any mediatic counterpower. That's very, mm. very, very clear. If somebody was still uh, believed to this old uh, 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 hope, uh, um, that's really over. Okay, We don't have any mediatic counterpower. That's the mm. contrary. And the media became the, the main uh, agent for, for to, to, to help uh, po political propaganda and industrial marketing. So we don't have this kind of counter-power. And we have a, a, a kind of general paralysis of uh, uh, the different institutions that uh, are, are supposed to play the, the role of the counter-power. The equivalent of the Supreme Court of the United States, we have the Conseil Constitutionnel, uh, but we, 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 in fact, and that's 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 not new. That's a st 
structural problem we have, it, it is not really an, indep- uh, an independent structure. It is composed mm. by, by, by politicians. Uh, uh, for example, all, all the politicians that have been one day president of the Republic I mm-hmm. are automatically members of the Conseil Constitutionnel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. not, uh, you, you do not need to, to be a, a famous uh, magistrate or jurist, etc., just to, to have been a, a, a politician. So that's a, a big problem. And um, another very big problem is um, the French Constitution, 1958, uh, could uh, allow the, the president of the Republic to decrete what we call uh, état d'urgence, state of emergency. Yes. Uh, and that paralyzes the, the ordinary process of, of, of institution and, and, and especially the parliament. So, so the question is this one. It is possible in France to, to see disappear all contemporary world when you are supposed to be in an exceptional situation. Yes. And, and yes. This, is, this is not the first time I have already seen see, see those process uh, um, about uh, terrorism or even uh, uh, ordinary criminality. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit um, and talk about the article that got me, um, uh, that that was how I learned about you. So you co-authored an, an article called, um, translated, I guess, to An Unprecedented Mortality. And you were referring to the COVID-19 vaccination campaign in France. And so your analysis of deaths associated with the COVID-19 vaccination caused you and your co-authors to call for a moratorium of the vaccination campaign. And so, of course, this article was subsequently censored and removed from the uh, publisher where it was um, originally posted. So can you take us through your findings and... Um, do you still stand by this? Like it's been a few months since you've written it. What are your What are your thoughts? If you accept, just before answer this question, I would like to continue just a minute about this this comparison I have just begun between the the classical fear of insecurity and now the fear of the epidemic. Sure. In fact, before working on the political and health management of the the COVID crisis. Um, I was, um, and I'm still am, um, a specialist in crime and security policy. Yes. And uh, yes, and in fact, that that helped me um, to, to to understand what was going on, because I find the same way of terrorizing the population mm-hmm. by totally totally exaggerating the threat. I find also the same way of. Um, instrumentalize, instrumentalizing, sorry, statistical data. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the same way of believing or pretending to believe that there is a, a, a miracle solution that will make the problem um, disappear. It is the same rhetoric and the same political propaganda somewhere. Mm-hmm. But but there is, um, to me, a very important difference. And the difference is, is that on crime and security policies, I still found journalists coming to interview me to explain these manipulations. Mm. But in the crisis of COVID, we are also witnessing the death of journalism. Mm. Journalists are no longer capable of distancing, um, distancing themselves and, and, and critically analyzing the, the political discourse and, and, and the marketing of pharmaceutical industry. And on the contrary, 
Yes. They have become the main relay for this propaganda. Yes. They no longer look to scientists like me to help with this critical an analysis. Mm -hmm. um, they seek to dismiss any criticism by la labeling independent research and doctors as um, conspiracy theorists or anti-vax or, or people suspected of sympathizing with the, um, the, the extreme right, the political extreme right which is a huge mistake as far as I'm concerned because I have fighting far-right those ideologies all my life. Okay, yes. that's yeah. what I would like to say. So to, to answer to your question, last, uh, last summer, um, more precisely in, in August, I, I began to, to, to work on this um, vaccine policy that was arriving. Uh, um, in France, uh, things began uh, after the, the 12th of July. Uh, it was the main discourse for, of Emmanuel Macron, our, our president, uh, that was um, announcing the, the, the vaccine obligation arriving. With uh, techniques uh, always the same, yeah? politicians always begin by saying, okay, it's a it's not really an obligation. It's uh, it's reserved <laughs> only for this kind of people, this part of population. Because uh, um, don't don't worry, there will there will never be a, a true obligation. It will never be for everybody, etc. But in fact, six months after, one year after, it is for everybody, and it is an obligation. That, yeah. That's a technical. Uh, um, there is a, a famous uh, uh, fable. Um, the, the the famous technique of the frog in, in the in the hot water, okay. If if you put it in very very hot water, she she want to escape. But it, if you put it in in not hot uh, uh, water and you you increase uh, very slowly uh, the mm -hmm. temperature, uh, uh, finally she will be uh, cooked <laughs> and never escape. So that's yes. something like this. Something. Mm. Um, so after this main discourse of July twelfth of our president. I become to, to, to work on, on, on this part, this file in, in, in the global uh, analysis of, of the crisis, the, the vaccine files. Uh, I began to, to work let's, with a small team. I was, uh, of course, not, um, not alone. Uh, I have worked with a biologist. I have worked with two, two colleagues, uh, one of uh, the University of Marseille. One is a mathematician. The other one is... Mm -hmm teach in um, informatics. Mm -hmm. I work also with a, a, a pharmacist, a, a pharmacist in a hospital, and who, who is in his hospital a specialist of uh, the what we call pharmacovigilance. Yes, um, so uh, drug surveillance. Drug surveillance, okay. And finally, uh, a general doctor. Okay, so mm -hmm. we, we were, we were uh, six persons. Uh, um, and we have just looked to the data of this drug surveillance in France, in uh, UK, in United States, States in mm -hmm. Switzerland, in uh, uh, in Holland, and mm -hmm. I perhaps forget one country. But okay, we have look at this because as the big vaccinate policy began. Uh, January, February 2021. Those uh, those first uh, results, those first data exist six months six months after. Okay, so I look, uh, 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 we look to, to, to those data. Uh, of course, 
some country have a tradition of uh, good transparency and mm -hmm. some other not, but okay, we find globally, we find those data. And on the main website, uh, uh, American websites uh, devote to, to, to this question, which is the, the virus. Okay? It's, it's a very interesting uh, uh, database because it exists since... Uh, uh, 1981, uh, if I remember, so we have 30 years mm -hmm. perspective, historical perspective. We can compare uh, all the, uh, uh, I don't know the, I don't remember the, again the word in English, uh, what we call in France, in French, événement indésirable, uh, uh, effet indésirable. Yeah, so adverse events, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, we can compare also those bad events about this new vaccine and those uh, who, who have been re registered uh, in the last years for for um, with vaccines uh, against uh, uh, season influenza, etc. And we, we we try to do the same thing, but with some sometimes with country who have very less practice of transparency. But in all those countries, I, I have uh, I have quotes. And the result is that uh, it was uh, an alarm, an alert, uh, mm -hmm. uh, saying, what is this idea of a global, integral, total vaccination of everybody, a kind of blindness uh, uh, act uh, for, uh, without a, any distinction, in anything. So it was an alarm, yes, and, and we finally called for just... Uh, just also uh, help people to remember what is the basic uh, uh, principle of precaution that everybody uses on any question uh, those, those last year and, and that everybody seems to, to, to forget on this question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to Alex, but before I do, I wanted to revisit something you mentioned earlier. So you said that you've been accused of being a, a right-wing person like droit, droit extreme, with yeah. your criticism of um, the COVID-19 protocols. And I do think that's very interesting because, as you also said, you've been writing about countering the right-wing narrative when it comes to the political discourse of insecurity in France. Like, So you've, you've written a book, for instance, that shows how the supposed increase in violence in um, urban areas since the 1980s is misunderstood. So I, I think that's very interesting that you've now been kind of allied or put into the same group of the people you've spent so much time criticizing. Because <laughs> yes, that, that just... Because <laughs> you spent, you know... Yes, of course. <laughs> but in fact, my, my last book, my, lab, my last book appears uh, at the beginning of March 20, uh, uh, 2020, just just before the lockdown, so for a dead book. But this book, well, the title in French is uh, La France telle qu'elle est, so France as it is, okay? Uh, and mm -hmm. the, the subtitle is, uh, in, in French, Pour en finir avec la complainte nationaliste, uh, uh, how mm -hmm. to, 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 to escape for the nationalist complaint, okay, right? So it was, uh, all the book was built and, and write against the ideology of extreme droit against racism, etc. Uh, um, so, and I've been for, for 20 years insult, 
Uh, every month, every year, buy the extreme right. So <laughs> that's very funny <laughs> to see <laughs> those two years. That's uh, the contrary. Uh, I'm not in, insult and suspect to be <laughs> some uh, to have some sympathy for the extreme right. That's so 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 stupid. So. Um, okay, so we wanted to ask you about. Um, the political situation in France more generally. So, of course, uh, France has famously had uh, very large protests throughout the country against the pass sanitaire mm -hmm. for more than 20 weeks now. So um, can you describe the impact this has had on the political class in France and how have these been covered by the media or not? As I've, I have tried to, to, to say before, the, the media today... Uh, has become the the the, the main uh, actors of uh, 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 of global pro propaganda. So uh, when those uh, street manifestations begin uh, after the discourse of the president on July 12, uh, at the beginning it was very big manifestation. I can talk about them because I was in those manifestations. I, mm -hmm. I, I film those manifestations. I, I try to count to to, <laughs> uh, to 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 know how many manifestants there was because systematically uh, the media gave uh, some evaluations some numbers that was so far from reality that it was just mm -hmm. incredible we used to have uh, um, this uh, this kind of uh, play uh, between uh, um, people who manifest and, and, and the police, you, you know, huh? you, you, you organize a manifestation. You are, you, you say you are, you are two hundred thousand people. Um, the police say yeah, that you are in fact three thousand, and uh, probably the the truth is somewhere at, at the middle. Okay, but it, it, it was not the police here that was trying to 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 deconsider manifestant to to say that. There was only three people, uh, certainly from extreme right, etc. That was not the police. It was the media. It was the journalist. Mm -hmm. It was the journalist. I, I have done manifestations where, where I, I have filmed and count myself the people. Mm. And the result is that there was uh, 10 times more people that what was writing in the newspaper uh, uh, the, uh, the day after. It is not a small uh, missing evaluation. It is a complete deformation of reality. It is mm -hmm. a complete propaganda. It, it was incredible be before to, to me before uh, before to see this by my own eyes. <laughs> if you have, <laughs> if you have to, to tell me this two years after, I will never believe you. So, okay, that, that's a, that's a reality. And look, this is for media and for the political field. Um, as far as I can analyze all this, it's well, France is in, is in a strange situation, as you know. The classical opposition because between the, the right and the left I, I, has been changed uh, because mm -hmm. of the, the death of the left. Uh, um, and arrive um, this, this person, Emmanuel Macron, uh, who, who is just an, an opportunist and create a, a small... Uh, a small, a small party just for the presidential election mm -hmm. and, and, and succeed because he was uh, confronted to, to the extreme, extreme right and, and he, he used and he's still using and probably to, for the next election it will, it will be the same still use the, the same um, how do you say chantage in English um, uh, bribery 
it's very simple. If you don't, uh, if you don't vote for me, you you are voting for the extreme right. I, I am the, the last, uh, uh, the last tower, the last fortification against uh, again uh, the extreme right, and that's all. That's always the same uh, rhetoric. Um, so we have uh, um, this particular situation. The old uh, and classical right parties. What stay? What still survive of the left? Socialist, ecologist, all those people, uh, except individualities, of course, as groups, uh, as political party, other party, as uh, uh, adopt the, the the state propaganda, the government propaganda. You you will find uh, even some. Um, for example, of some uh, integrists of vaccination, you will f- find some of them in, in the left politic, in the left part of, of the member of, of the socialist party, member of the ecologist party, for example. So um, it, it's very hard to understand, of course, how has disappeared all form of, of criticism, all um, all specificity. It's very so- and so the only difference can be heard with some extreme right uh, groups that, mm. of course, try... I, I don't know, uh, I, I never do a, a, any um, intention uh, prosecution <laughs> about people, uh, so, so I am not in, the, in their, um, their brain. I don't know the reason why they, they say what they are saying. So I don't know if it is just opportun- political opportunism or, or conviction, I don't know. But you have some little group of uh, extreme right politics that uh, 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 criticize a lot uh, uh, the, the authoritarian policy. Mm. So I am hearing that I have been clo- closely following, for instance, Mélenchon, who you know, who's the mm-hmm. I guess a far far left uh, person in in French politics. Like, so what has his position has his position shifted on? the pass sanitaire and i know that he's not supportive for instance of vaccine mandates but um what about the pass sanitaire what's his view Mélenchon's? Mm. well the Mélenchon and this political party which name is la france insoumise mm-hmm. uh, uh, they have been very clear on one point and mm-hmm. very unclear on all the rest, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> as far as I know, as, as, as far as I am interested in uh, political discourses, um, there was very clear about the authoritarian uh, 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 turn uh, uh, of the government, about the fact that uh, uh, they try to govern without any counter power, uh, uh, with uh, absolutely no respect for the parliament, uh, etc. So there was very clear on this question, specific question. But on the global comprehension of the crisis, mm-hmm. uh, on, on public health strategy, etc., they have absolutely nothing clear. They are, mm. they are like the others, unable to build a, a, a global approach, a global think of this, and to have counter-propositions. Mm. They are unable to do this. And, and Yes. That's interesting. So I'm I'm kind of sad to hear then. Um, it seems like the protests, like the very courageous um, and uh, the courageous protests from the French people, don't seem to be having a big effect on in pressuring the politics of of France towards 
um, away from this authoritarian direction that it's taken. Is that correct, more or less? Yes, that, that's, to, to my opinion, that's the main problem. Um, yes. Probably you, you will find in the next, uh, in the next months some political groups that will contest uh, um, the, authoritarian, the authoritarian way of, of governing. You will mm -hmm. probably find this, but uh, I don't see any way an alternative in the mm. in the global management, political and health mm. management of, of this crisis. Mm. I don't see it anywhere. Mm. What about um, Zemmour? Is he, what's his line on this? Does he have one yet? What's his position? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know exactly because, to, to say the truth, I'm not very interested in, uh, in political <laughs> yeah. uh, agitation. Uh, <laughs> so th there is so many reasons to be, to to become depressive <laughs> in, this, in this in this era. Uh, so I don't want to 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 add some new reasons uh, listening to this kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so maybe I'll go to the last question. So, okay, so the French government recently has escalated things. Now they've said that the pass sanitaire will be cancelled for people who don't have a booster over the age of 65. And, um, of course, the pass sanitaire in, French, in France rather has a, uh, an option for testing. And it used to be that you, if you could show a negative COVID-19 test with, that was negative within uh, 72 hours, Now it's down to only 48 hours, which essentially means people will have to get a test every day, which is very expensive. So why do you think that Macron is now pursuing this course of action, like pushing the boosters now and tightening the noose on um, the pass sanitaire? Mm. I don't know what they can uh, create uh, in this uh, incredible uh series of uh, of bad movies uh, of course everybody with with serious know that the vaccination with one two three four five seven doses as you want uh, will never stop the, the the contagiosity the epidemic never so yeah. uh, 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 just two days ago and i know this because uh, yesterday I was uh, 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 I was presenting uh, um, the PhD of one of my students, okay, at university. He is he, uh, Italian in his origin, and uh, his parents come come to the to the this kind of small celebration huh, with the, when he defend his thesis, and uh, so they come from Italy, and uh, uh, and they learned me that. And so his two parents are complete, are full vaccinated, all right. But yeah. just the day before, they, they take the boat to come uh, to come here and to assist to, to the celebration. Uh, the, the, the Italian government has take a new law um, that obliges you to, to do a test, even if you are full vaccinated before to, to travel to another country. So there is no end to this story. <laughs> <laughs> we can continue like this uh, uh, for continue this, this way to consider people as stupid, uh, stupid people. That's, that's incredible. So what can I say? Well, why why do you think like it, it just? I guess this is maybe just speculative. 
from but why do you think they they're doing like where where do you think that the is there an end goal or are they just reacting to a situation which they hadn't uh seen coming so you know with the new the new variant which escapes the vaccines now they can't bring down the cases and so they're like okay we have to get everyone a booster um like wh- i guess the question is like where is this all going exactly like when will it what's the goal i suppose in your mind I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. The only thing is that is clear or almost clear for me, or more or less clear, th- there is a, a, a sort of psycho-rigidity uh, yeah. uh, of those people that are unable to say, okay, we have done a mistake. Perhaps we have not taken the, the good di- direction. Perhaps we have to discuss, to... to to enlarge uh, our uh, scientific, how do you, we have a kind of scientific council in France, like in many countries, uh, with a very small group of people who are, we are, uh, they are friends between them. There was friend before the crisis, and okay, so it's yeah. a, something so just put here to to give a justification and uh, uh, with many uh, something that looks like scientists but it's not it's not science in fact um but all those people are unable to say okay we were wrong sorry sorry uh, uh, it was difficult uh, <laughs> there, there was a lot of pressure pression uh, uh, we don't have many time so we have said this it wasn't true we have uh, uh, <laughs> To take this, this decision, it was not a good decision. Well, it, it, I just talk for, from my opinion, but if I have a government able to say this, I would say, okay, that's clear. Perhaps uh, myself in the same situation with uh, many pressure, etc. But perhaps I, I also t- take a, a bad decision. But they're absolutely unable to do this. And they always continue in the same way, never looking uh, uh, at the back, never uh, really evaluate what they are doing, just always and simply saying this is uh, uh, the good this is the truth this is the science we are the we are the best uh, uh, and that's absolutely crazy absolutely mm. crazy it's a kind of psychology it's also a political strategy uh, uh, that's very clear and they will i think they will continue this until the next uh, uh, national elections mm. with mm. which result of course i don't know Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Laurent. Like, um, do you have anything to add to, as we wrap this up, anything you wanted to uh, leave our listeners with? No, I think I've, I've said many things and thanks a lot to you for this uh, invitation and sorry for my, uh, approximative English. (laughs) I thought your English was really good. And, um, Uh, thank you so much for, you know, coming on and speaking and not your first language. I don't, I wouldn't have done the same, even though I, I do speak French, I would never give an interview in French. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> it's very admirable. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Take care. Yeah. So we're just doing an addendum to this interview with Laurent Michidi. So Alex, You were just telling me your thoughts on this before I well, yes. That we um, it. <laughs> why not give the audience a bonus, basically? And the the thought that I was having was that I agreed with him completely on his uh, final answer, which is a uh, why is someone like Macron continuing with this? And I think that um, for Macron, he's not a particularly popular French president anyway. 
is that's the first factor. So anything that he can do to boost his power, his authority, including like uh, persisting with a fake emergency, he'll do it. And he'll cherry pick, um, because he's basically a sociopath, he'll cherry pick any science that he can find to do so. And now he's got like, this is the thing, the COVID regime is the thing that will get all the media at the moment behind him, almost no matter what, and allow him to marginalize all of his opponents as like these uh, far right people. And the can, and as Laurent was saying, the confused response of Mélenchon and others gives him the opportunity to essentially absorb almost the entire um, spectrum of um, mainstream French politics into this narrative that he has behind him and marginalize anybody else as like a Le Pen supporter or a Zemmour supporter or worse. So really, it's the ideal crisis for like these... Uh, Blairite figures, which is what Macron is, um, who want to embody everything uh, that they want to present as progressive, and they want to present any, anybody who's outside of that as like some far out right wing reactionary, and which is exactly the tactic that Blair always used. Um, it, it's a very um, common thing for like these sort of nineties technocrat. Uh, politicians, which is what Macron aspires to be. I think he wanted, his heroes are like Blair, um, Clinton, people like that. So the way uh, Laurent was describing it, it, it's a crisis that's completely perfect for a figure like Macron. Yes. Um, I guess my thought is, I thought it was quite striking to see the similarities between France and his interpretation, especially of why Things are not moving forward, moving out of this whole situation. So, for instance, a lack of democratic input, the closed off nature of the institutions that mm. make the decisions in France with regards to these COVID-19 protocols. Um, you know, for instance, he mentioned the equivalent of the Supreme Court in France being a bunch of, of political appointments, yeah. essentially, that are appointed by not the people, not elected by the people, but appointed by uh, their political friends and allies. And, and that's essentially like most courts in this world. Uh, what's distinctive about the United States, perhaps, and I, I really want to do a bit more research and see if there's any other countries with this paradigm, is that they do, in fact, elect some of their judges. Um, and they do, for instance, elect some of their police heads. And so there is a little bit more democratic inputs, um, more sites for contestation. So I think that's part of the reason why the United States, unlike most countries, um, have been able to dig themselves out of this uh, much more quickly than um, I think any other Western nation. I can't think of another one that's, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and perhaps Sweden is the other exception. Yeah, I think that the, what was revealed in Britain was just what I always thought the risk of of our system always was, which was the so-called parliamentary uh, sovereignty, which is the doctrine that we're taught as like politics students for, um, in our first years, that parliament is sovereign and all decisions go through parliament. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's incre become increasingly untrue over the last 30 years, where I think certainly um, ever since Thatcher, but increasingly since Blair, um, first of all, cabinet started to overrule uh, parliament. And then prime minister's office basically just told cab the cabinet what to do. That was famously how Blair operated, which is reflection of the, uh, of the needs of British capitalism, principally. And when you get down to this level, like the 
you find like in the in the bourgeois media for years like the 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 bourgeois commentators who these morons around the cabinet table all take seriously were always calling for more authoritarianism they were always saying that um, that if if Parliament contested too many things, that it was chaotic, that it was ruining confidence in the country. What we need is strong, decisive leadership, which is what you get uh, when you get all power concentrated around the Prime Minister's office. And because the Prime Minister has is inherited the royal prerogative, um, the monarch has no real power anymore. The Prime Minister's office has it, so power to send, commit British military forces into combat, the power to make arbitrary decisions and what we've seen is uh certainly over the last 25 years is that that you find it's government by uh often by suggestion so like a lot of the things that boris has said and done all the way through this have no real legal basis you know um they weren't actually they passed the coronavirus act in like march 2020 i believe but they often didn't use it they use like public health orders which are less legally much less legally binding and could much more easily be challenged but you what you see is government by suggestion in that the prime minister goes on television says something the media all say that this is how it's going to be and therefore most people think oh well it must be the law then even though it's not so you can see really just how emptied out and hollow the so-called democratic institutions of britain are and then you get these this pair of idiots who run scotland and wales who just compete with each other to be see who can be the most self-important. So it's again, it's tailor-made for these inadequate figures in these executive positions to try and accumulate power and thus authority around themselves. And then you throw in also the fact that ever since 2001, as um, Laurent was saying, the idea that, you know, um, uh, the, the idea of permanent state of emergency or state of exception, to use a Gambon's phrase, well, that's been a constant in Western political life for tw- for over twenty years. So it just re- it bring- what this has done. It, it brings out into a much wider view all of the processes that have been going on. I think for at least twenty years, at least since the beginning of the war on terror, and that is something which all of the Western nations have in common, along with these political elites who. Um, only know how to govern in this way. Yes, um, I agree. Uh, I think to add to your point about the lack of actual legal basis for a lot of these things, um, there is an increasing habit, as I've, from what I've observed in Canada, to download responsibility for not only creating policies but also enforcing the policies to bureaucratic organizations. So, for instance, um, in Canada, it's not the enforcement agency of the Canadian Border Agency, um, sorry, the CBA, Canadian Border Agency, I believe it's called. They're not giving out the fines with regards to breaking quarantine and stuff when you go back to the country. It's the Public Health Agency of Canada, which gives out the fines. And so it, it what it does is that it, but I think essentially by bureaucratizing these tasks, and bureaucratizing the uh, creation and application of these protocols, you're removing opportunities for typical processes that you could contest these with. So another, maybe a better example is with the way in which Ontario is doing a lot of this stuff. So Ontario is divided into several what's called um, public health units. And these are headed by public health doctors that are hired uh, and appointed by by the premier. And um, 
they are have been granted power. They've been devolved power by Doug Ford to uh, by a, a section in the original COVID Act that was put into place to deal with the pandemic to um, under a Section 22, very infamous. And they're able to do a bunch of sweeping orders like order workplaces closed and like apply restrictions. Like we have a, a part in Ontario where the public health unit has now ordered um, it illegal to be standing while drinking or eating or it, to order the waitresses and waiters to wear goggles while they work. And and this thing, the thing is, unlike uh, typical uh, legislation and laws, you can't easily contest this. There isn't a clear path to which you, you can contest these kinds of orders. Um, the, the process of contestation does not offer any opportunity for appeal. And so it's, it's just, you know, it's removing any like opportunities for dissent even further. And it makes people confused as to where they exactly need to target here. Like, are they, are they now having to fight this battle with the public health unit head? Um, I think it distracts from the real source of power, which is of course still the premier. Um, but now, like he's kind of shielding himself from responsibility by downloading his "quote unquote" power to these uh, bureaucrats, who are, in in fact, just answerable to him. They don't answer to the people. They're not elected people. They're not elected by the people. So they have no democratic input whatsoever. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a uh, it's very it's very crazy to hear from Laurent, hear from people in different countries, um, and just hear such consistent patterns politically. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very well, uh, indicative of the fact that um, capitalism does push towards like certain political, yeah, structures. Well, especially, um, especially the capitalism in this era. Yes, right? as you and I have been talking about for months now, you have capitalism goes through this long period of, um, should we say, its um, democracy being somewhat more contested and somewhat more meaningful. Uh, with the strength of the workers' movement in the 20th century. And ever since then, in, in the advanced nations, the the working class suffered a, a series of either major defeats, as in Britain, or sort of constant low, lower, lower scale but grinding defeats, as in Germany, or in France, in fact. Um, capital has been able to circumvent even the very limited democratic constraints upon its demands. And its demands now in this system of, like, ever... You know, greater bubbles of uh, fictitious capital, ever greater debt burdens. Uh, its demands now are for very quick and immediate and efficient decisions. Yes, that exactly. can be made um, with rapidity and with no oversight. Yes, and that's what's been the demand for over twenty years. Really, going back to um, in this country over forty years. One of the things that um, uh, Thatcher's uh, ideologists uh, uh, said there was her. O modus operandi was the idea of the free economy and the strong state, meaning that, like, um, you know, in the in the propaganda of that period, it would be that anybody anybody can make it if you just grind hard enough. But also the the more cru the crucial thing being that the power became more and more concentrated, and it was more and more demanded by capital that efficient decisions be made. And this has just been it's been an uninterrupted process. And I think the shock that a lot of people are getting, especially perhaps people more of the, the middle class persuasion, um, is to see this out in the open. Yeah. To see to see governments engaging in things that are transparently wrong in terms of being not supported by scientific evidence, in terms of being um, completely at odds with even like 
the most basic interrogation of the facts, <laughs> shall we say? Um, to we see, say, like, to just see some that basic logic, even the basic logic. <laughs> thing, thing to to have not only the governments but the so-called oppositions and all of the media run all in headlong in the same direction would be. It was the only thing that was surprising to me is that it's gone on this long, and we've been famously wrong about that. But I wasn't surprised that all of them would go in this direction because this has been the direction of travel for a very long time. Oh, well, I was surprised. I mean, not so much by the media, but I, I have been surprised with, and just as Laurent was saying as well, like the complete lack of dissent. And yeah, that the, that's more surprising. The 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 government's acting like they have is isn't really a surprise. But the fact that all of the intellectual layers yes. that are supposedly yes. be supposed under under liberal theories of the state, um, that the civil society is supposed to be this constraint, and it just wasn't. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it's the death of the left, as you said. Like it's. I mean, in the sense, even you know, we could argue when this, when it died, was it ever, was it ever the left? You know, these kinds of existential questions. But in terms of serving any uh, working class segment or populist vision or whatever you want to say, this is dead now. Um, yeah. And even for him, like he was saying, you know, I don't know how the right will will uh like how this there's been some support against um the authoritarianism of COVID 19 protocols in france coming from the extreme right as he says it but he's like i don't know how this will actually uh instantiate on the political field it hasn't yet produced anything and i thought that was very notable because people are kind of hoping that these flashes of support from the right will lead to some kind of anti-covid authoritarian movement perhaps from the right and I don't think this is a, you know, first of all, I just want to say, I don't know, the right wing of capital or whatever, culturally, whatever you want to say, is not necessarily anti-COVID authoritarianism. No, um, just look at none of their icons, Mr. Orban in Hungary. He's very much in favor of it. Or Putin in Russia. Putin in Russia. That's a great one. He just, uh, Moscow just approved a COVID-19 passport for the country, I believe, today. But who's it's in a power? country run by old KGB freaks. Of course they did. <laughs> I don't think the Russian. Well, anyways, I don't want to, no more predictions from me about this stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, who's in power in the UK? Who's in power in Ontario? Ontario has the most right wing premier in power that we've had in in twenty thirty years since Mike Harris. They're both far for Canada, far right wing politicians. Well, not, maybe not far right wing, but well, I mean, very Boris is all over the map in like what he actually believes in. I mean, if you. If you tune into some of the sort of right wing circles, you'll hear that like Boris has made commitments to believe in many things over the last uh, 30 years, 20 years. He's been like a very liberal mayor of London. Right. Um, like he's his commitment to he's got a solid commitment to himself. Like, whereas like some politicians in the Conservative Party, like the likes of John Redwood or Steve Baker, people like that, are more, um, shall we say, typical of the sort of Thatcher inheritance. Like, Boris Johnson is very amorphous. Like, um, he's, his only real commitment is to his own career. Well, um, I would say your man Ford is much more typical of like a right-wing figure 
well, I in just, modern political terms. Okay, so but if we just abstract from the personalities of the leadership here and perhaps their personal per, uh, political orientation, um, the parties that they're leading are still kind of your typical right wing party, right? So yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if this right left divide, as people have seen it, is, and you know, perhaps seeing some extreme, um, s- some support from the extreme segment of the right wing. Will necessarily lead to uh, a regime that's anti-authoritarian once they get into power, if they get into power, right? Well, like I, I don't know how if. How does? Well, I just want to say, like, I don't know if the fact that someone is left wing or right wing is the determining factor as to where they stand on COVID nineteen protocols well, and authoritarianism. Let's think about it for a moment, like with the case of uh, my favorite politician, Keir Starmer. Um, (laughs) like let's look at him because and also the most of the rest of you the the absolute fucking worst um but from a a guy like that like you'll find people like floating around like the right-wing media sphere in britain who will claim that keir starmer is some kind of secret communist which is a joke like he's the former he's the former head prosecutor in britain um, he's made his entire career in like serving the interests of like powerful political and legal elites in Britain. And so when it came to the vote on the new measures the other day, like he really worked hard to get his entire parliamentary party to vote for them. Um, and including many people who had been previously uh, members of the so-called socialist, so-called campaign, so-called group. Uh, they're meant to be like the pro Corbyn faction. Yeah, many some of them like uh, Zara Sultana, who's this like complete faker AOC type figure from Coventry and a Labour MP from them, celebrated as a big left winger, but spoke against like vaccine passports, then disappeared and failed to vote at all. Oh, that's like, the so only... weak. Boo. Yeah, weak as fuck. But the only, the people who did vote against it, like Diane Abbott, fair play. She's like an old school. Labour left winger, whatever else you think of her politics, and I think very negatively of a lot of her politics. Clive Lewis, who fancies himself as Labour leader still, so he may be trying to put a you know mark in the ground. A few others who voted for principal reasons, but the grand total was eight out of like about 191. The rest either failed to turn up, but most of them voted for it, and that's like that's like everybody in the Labour Party, from like people on the the right of it who are almost indistinguishable from the conservative cabinet to people on the left of it so like this this as you were saying how to make sense of that and i think the way to make sense of it is that for a lot of these people it comes back to one of the things that we've been discussing on the show which is what is this why the the left has an idea of what the so-called is what the public good is and it's associated principally with state action and with this whole thing, I think we've seen like so much of the left go along with it because they see this as somehow defying their cartoon image of what they think this neoliberal regime is. I think politics is about, um, it's not about a set of ideas or ideologies, you know, it's not just that. It's about participation and the ability to apply pressure. And that's where we should be focusing on. It doesn't matter what, uh, you know, as you're just kind of, for instance, going through Boris's political history, like he's just an opportunist. But most politicians are, right? 
And so um, my, I think the questions people should be asking themselves is why are people taking the positions they are taking currently? What are the pressures on them or lack of pressures on them? And what's motivating them to act the way that they are acting? And I think that if the answer isn't, well, there's a, a working class threat or, um, you know, I don't know if you can, you can't depend on that person to stand up for whatever they're saying whether what you know whatever you you think of it um if you know in terms of like if it is something that it seems anti-authoritarian to you there's no working class pressure it's it's just not going to happen once they've entered office if they ever do regardless of the strength of their convictions at the moment right now as an extreme white right wing or rising right wing star or whatever and you know I, i just i don't know i just think um people have lost view of what politics has become this purely discursive exercise and i i think discourse is obviously really important but um well think of it i think i think of also in this way like without the external pressure of the working class like um what really happens you know we've had we've had like three decades of like minimal working class pressure on the system and this is what this is what has happened if say some quote-unquote populist perhaps a right-winger was to actually attain power in britain for instance um he'd still be faced with the same bureaucracy he'd still be faced with a hostile you know almost universally hostile media and he'd still be faced with the need to govern the country so when you look at it in that way and look the case of trump can be very instructive on this um particularly on covid and i've been reading through the the Scott Atlas book, which is very instructive. Like Trump, like whatever else you might think, he knew or suspected that the things that Fauci was saying were baseless and garbage very early on. In fact, he stopped talking and communicating with the so-called coronavirus task force, um, and in fact, started he started putting out different messaging to the the other the official advice from a task force he was supposed to be the head of or supposed to be responsible for. And yet, Trump doesn't sack Fauci or Burks or any of the others, even though he now completely disagrees with them, because his advisors are saying to him, well, if you do that, then you'll trigger a tidal wave of political consequences and you'll threaten the following things that we want to get done, that we need um, a certain degree of cooperation with the bureaucracy to do. You'll threaten our electoral potential in the elections this year. You see, it's this series of institutional imperatives that they run into that to actually pilot your way through or bullheadedly charge your way through and sack people and appeal appeal over the heads of the bureaucracy the and the politicians to the people as a as a mass well n- how many actual politicians on the right or the left are going to want to do that and go into open warfare with the state bureaucracy with the permanent political class with the media all at the same time the answer is not very many not yeah. many, many bourgeois politicians are going to want to take that risk. Well, anyways, um, to be continued. But uh, thanks for listening. At length. To, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm currently writing an essay on this, so be sure to uh, share my insights. <laughs> <laughs> Once it's I'll interview you all about it when you finish. Um, I, <laughs> that'd be great, because then I, I could feel like I didn't just spend all those many, many hours writing something just for, uh, for nothing. 
Um, okay, coming up next week, interview with our co-host on her essay. Uh, Chinese imperialism in Sudan essay. <laughs> that okay, was really right, well, right. <laughs> Booking guests is getting really easy. Uh, thanks for uh, listening to our show with Laurent. Yeah, I just want to make it, I, th- I hope I made it clear that I do speak French. <laughs> Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I hope I made it clear that I speak French lim- in a very limited and possibly bad way. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye, everybody. <laughs>